Welcome to Wellness and Weight Loss for Busy Moms. I'm your host, Tracy Baird. Whether you're an expectant mom or an empty nester, a foster or adoptive mom, a stay-at-home mom who rarely stays at home, a working or entrepreneurial mom, or even a mom who's been promoted to grandma, you're in the right place. Moms, let's link our virtual arms together as we strive to make progress on our family's unique wellness journey. Let's get started. Well, hello, my friend, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with Cami. Hey, guys. And we are here in February wanting to focus on the wellness topic of relational wellness. So today we are going to focus on talking about marriage and marriage relationships. And I'm sort of a data dork. So I wanted to talk about it from the perspective of actual research. I have been exposed to an amazing researcher called John Gottman. Have you heard of him, Cammie? I've never heard of him. So tell me about him. Well, he actually, in the 1970s, was sort of a pioneer in relationship research. Mm -hmm. Because prior to then, there were a lot of theories on relationships and marriage. And there there was research, but it was mostly sort of retrospective or like Mm survey-based. So. When people are, you know, answering a survey on their marriage, there can be a lot of bias introduced. Right. Because I don't want to tell everybody the real truth of how I feel or what I'm doing (laughs) wrong. Well, you're in the majority then (laughs) because (laughs) that's how people, people tend to portray themselves better when they're self-reporting. So Mm -hmm. John Gottman was a pioneer in actually gathering information and then sort of prospectively gathering more information going forward and doing empirical research on relationships. So there were, I mean, I looked at the published articles he had, and Mm -hmm. it's not just marriage. It's also parenting topics. He has some recent work on singleness, but I mean, it was pages long. And his first published study was in 1969, and his last was in 2017. Wow. This guy's old. Yeah, I know. And he's (laughs) still doing research. I think since his last, I'm I'm just assuming, yeah. I did look up in his Wikipedia today to confirm, you know, there's nothing I don't know. He's he's still right. out there. He he wrote this book that I'm going to be referencing, which is called The Love Prescription. Mm. It was published in 2022, so he's still doing work. But I mean, I'm thinking he might be taking a step back from his, you know, laboratory research. Right. In uh, the late 80s or early 90s launched something that people started nicknaming the Love Lab. Interesting. Yeah. So his research on couples, mm-hmm. some of it would be as short as a 15-minute interaction. So this research was both, you know, data collection in, in observational research. So maybe a researcher from behind a, a window, like the double, pa- you know, the you know, that kind of mirrored window. Yeah. I hate those. Yeah. I don't like those either. They're kind of creepy, but yeah, I'm not. I'm actually not 100% sure they use that, but I'm just envisioning it that way. Right. There was a researcher watching a couple and the couple might be um, told to have an argument. Mm-hmm. So they'd have to have an argument for 15 minutes over the topic of their choice. And then the researcher would note down different notations of what they were looking for, you know, from the research perspective, as well as they were hooked up to different sort of like collecting their blood pressure, their heart rate. Wow. Like physiological stuff. Uh-huh. On the on the other end of the spectrum, he had couples live 
in a laboratory type apartment for four weeks. Wow. And they were observed interacting for that long amount of time. Right. Well, in general, this researcher could predict with over 90% certainty what couples would remain married and what couples would get divorced within a three-year period. Okay. So doesn't that make you just want to go live in that, that um, apartment to find out what he'd say about you and then want to prove him wrong? Like that's, that's, that's how bad I am. <laughs> and I actually was poking around on in preparation for this podcast, mm-hmm. poking around on his website, with, which is called, which I actually don't know the citation, but I believe that his organization is the Gottman Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, which I will link in the show notes as well as I will link this book right? that I'm going to reference in the show notes. But it had a like frequently asked questions page. Mm-hmm. And the last frequently asked question said, if your data is telling us that we have a bad marriage, but we think it's fine, should we just go ahead and separate? <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, really looking for outsiders to tell you how to live. I don't know that I would ask that question. I mean, I think I'm in a really happy marriage. And then the other part of me wants to go and like skew all those results because we're so happy and great. As right. A, you know? Yeah. Well, I bet you, you would come out, you know, I bet he would predict you'd stay together because this, I mean, his rate of prediction is really good. Yeah. I think the lowest rate was 91%. So of the the times, yeah, of the times he's tried it. So Mm -hmm. he's written more than 40 books, some with co-authors. This last one, which I mentioned, The Love Prescription, he co-authored with his wife, who who is a clinical psychologist. Okay. So the premise of this book is it's sort of like tips for, mm-hmm. you know, a successful marriage. So right. it's like more connection, more joy. And they sound kind of simple, but mm-hmm. I just love that they're actually based on research. Yeah, that's interesting because that's that wouldn't be to me research that would be easy to get. Yeah, to definitely. They definitely had to get some big grants to make this, this yeah. research happen. I bet. So I'm just going to start with the first tip, which is yeah. to, to look for connection moments with your partner. Okay. So what is a connection moment? So because they're researchers, of course, they had to like define. Right. <laughs> they, they defined different things. One thing they defined was called a bid or a bid, a bid for attention, essentially. Okay. And the bid could take various forms, but it's when one person says or does something. It could be verbally saying something, or it could be anything as small as, for example, sighing. Okay. That is considered a bid because if you're in the room with someone and you make a a loud sigh, you want, you know, you're kind of wanting them to respond. Right. I mean, if you're like me, you are. So just say an example, you can, here would be a bid. If I were to say, oh, wow, I hear a bird singing. Right. (laughs) Then my husband could, what he could do is they would categorize it in different ways, which would be turning toward the bid, which he would say, oh, it is so pretty. Or what kind of a bird do you think that is? Or I think the birds sound annoying, you know, whatever it is, but it's, it's responding, affirming my sort of bid. Another thing to do would be just turn away from the bid, which is not really responding. Right. And then the third one is turning against it, which is actually saying like, I don't care about birds. 
Okay. So your last thing that you just said, though, would have been uh, turning away, wouldn't it? Because you well, said. Maybe it would be. Tell you the truth. <laughs> I was, I actually heard a bird singing. Yeah. So you're like pulling from the environment around you. I hadn't pre-planned that example, but just say, you know, if I made a loud sigh, if yeah. if my husband said, oh, is something wrong? That would be turning right. toward, if he just ignored it, you know, that would be turning away and turning against would be like, what's wrong with you now? Oh, bless you. <laughs> I, that makes me sad. Somebody would say that. I know, but people do. I know. Uh, I'm, so I'm capable of saying something hateful. I, I don't want to say I'm not, but that still makes me sad that I could say something like that. We all have our bad moments. I know. I was, when I was reading about this and reminding myself about it, I was thinking about the other day, my husband, he looks at Dilbert on his newspaper on his phone and he enjoys that. And I like it too. And he's, he was like, Hey, look at the Dilbert. And I, this had just happened when I was reading about this. And I, I had placed a grocery order and mm-hmm. it could be it could be modified up to like just say 9 a.m right and it, and it was like 8 57 a.m and I was trying right. to add something to it so I was like oh let me look at that in a minute but which I guess is not really it's not really turning against it it was just I felt bad that I hadn't you know shined in that moment <laughs> yeah I could I can see that in marriage being a real problem I can also see it with kids Cause like mm-hmm. kids will bid for attention or bid for connection, I guess is what you're calling it. And I think that as a parent, you can hear that so much that you can kind of grow deaf to it. Mm-hmm. And so that's an interesting, I've never thought of that that way. Like, I mean, best case scenario is you'd always turn towards that person, right? If they're sign or they're engaging you, you always want to turn towards that person. I just think there are trends and basically I'm ballparking this statistic, but mm-hmm. in the sort of like in the most happily married couples, mm-hmm. over 80% of bids are met with turning toward, okay. whereas in sort of the couples that are headed toward divorce, it's more like 30% or fewer. Hey, it's Tracy heading in and interrupting myself because I really want to connect with you. You can find me at Tracy Baird Wellness on Facebook. Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And you can always find my latest free resource on my website, tracybairdwellness.com. Now, back to the show. So it's it's the dramatic difference, you know, on average. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can see that. I want, when I sigh, I want Jeff to go, what is it, my darling? That's what I, I know. <laughs> exactly. And I bet he does. <laughs> Usually he does. Maybe 80% of the time. At least 80% of the time. We're on a good streak. Let's keep going. What's the next idea? Okay. The, the next, next tip? tip is to be curious and to ask questions. Oh, that's so funny because my word for the year is curious. So I, I have that. really been thinking about being curious. So, so I think that's a good one. I think the open, the more open-ended questions, the better, because mm-hmm. that just provides more insight rather than, you know, what did you do this afternoon? More like about your hopes and dreams, kind of maintaining a curiosity about your partner. So you are getting to know each other better and better, even though both of us have been married, you know, 20 plus years, we still maybe don't know. I mean, obviously we don't know everything about our spouse and we want to like know them better or, and, and have them know we want to even know them better. But I do think curiosity is hard to maintain when you have more intimacy. 
Mm-hmm. Like the more you do know that other person over time, I think it's hard to maintain that curiosity. Mm-hmm. And like, how was your day today? You know, like that, those things you can be curious about. Those are easy, but like, how is your heart and what's going on inside of you right now? I think those questions you assume, you know, because you've been with them so much that it's harder to keep that curiosity. So open-ended questions. How do you use that kind of curiosity? Well, I do think I'm a curious person. So Uh that helps me, you know, being curious about Paul. In fact, once I had to list my top five most salient qualities and I did put curiosity as one of them. So maybe I just don't struggle in that area. Okay. And I will say that some of these things, you know, are more, I'm sure basically based on the research of John Gottman, all of these things are what's leading to, you know, more joy and more connection in marriage, but probably based on personality, some are more important than others. Okay. So what would be some questions though that you would encourage listeners to use to kind of put in their tool belt of like daily questions you could ask that would show curiosity? Good, good question. So basically a little creativity is in order, but something like, you know, if you, if you could design our dream house, what would be some qualities about it? Mm. That might be an example. I mean, I'm trying, I'm, my mind is just going right away to like, what would your dream vacation be and why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I have a game that's called more than strangers. We're not strangers. Do you know that game? I don't think so. Okay. Great, great game. Totally recommend looking at it at Amazon. It's called We Are Not Strangers and they do have a family edition mm-hmm. and it has great questions in it. Like questions that I never would have thought of asking, but stuff like when you were a child, describe an experience where you felt really valued or like you belonged. Like that's a great question that I wouldn't necessarily think of asking. You know what I mean? So I, I think that. you can look for questions that I've even... Like I was going to have dinner with somebody who was really hard for me. And I've even Googled like good questions to ask. So if you can't, if you can't, if you aren't naturally curious, like Tracy, Google good questions to ask. Yes. (laughs) My mom did give me as a gift, these table topics cards that might be good. Yeah. A lot of resources are out there. And some of this, these tips do, if you just think about it in advance, you know, if you're actually trying to, the, the subtitle of the book says seven days to more intimacy, connection, and joy. So if you're trying to do it in a short period of time, maybe some reflection each day would be really mm-hmm. beneficial. Yeah, that's good. All right. Next okay. one. Next one. Say thank you. <laughs> yes. nothing, is, nothing is too small. Really? Nothing's too small. Yeah. I, that resonates with me. I, I, I think that's a hard one to do after you've been married a long time too, to keep saying thank you. You just take each other for granted naturally, don't you? Mm-hmm. That takes so. you know, the first, second, well, not the first one, but the second and the third one, it specifically take a degree of intentionality. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. the, they, they emphasize making like thanking the person uh, habitual. And because of that, mm-hmm. you don't want to wait for only big things, but okay. actually expressing appreciation for, you know, my husband actually makes the coffee every day and you know, he grinds the beans, blah, blah, blah. And he does it every day. So I sort of take it for granted, but, um, I I do occasionally say like, thank you so much for making the coffee. Yeah. Is it, do you know, and this might be a question that you don't know the answer to, but is it better to say it verbally or to write it like in a written card? In the book, it actually said that if you have a hard time doing it verbally, 
uh-huh. you could write it. So okay. it was sort of the assumption was you're saying it verbally. But okay. I think I'm a, I mean, I'm a words of affirmation girl. Give it to me in writing. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think that that might be more meaningful to me because it would show so much more thoughtfulness on Jeff's side. You know, like, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Okay. So that was tip three. Tip four. Uh, tip four is give compliments. Mm, I do so like a good compliment. The, com- the, 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 not the catch, but to be more specific, mm-hmm. they must be genuine. So you don't want to be, you know, fudging here. Right. <laughs> People can detect from your, you know, micro, right. whatever expression, expression. if mm-hmm. you're telling the truth. So these would be genuine compliments. And it's better if the compliment is about who the person is mm. what the person does or did. Mm, that's a good one. The yeah. Thank you is sort of, maybe the thank you is more about what the person did. Like, thank you for making the coffee. But the compliment is more, thank you for being so reliable, mm-hmm. you know, that when I wake up, there's always a cup of coffee. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, I like that. And I like the thoughtfulness of that as well. You know, when my kids were little, I used to, when they would fight, I would make them talk about three character qualities they liked in each other. And that was along those same lines of like that recognizing the character. Yeah. I don't know. that The compliment. Yeah. Okay. The next one is tell what you need, you know, using the I statements, basically, right. rather than saying the kitchen is all messy because I need help cleaning it up rather than saying like, you never help me. Right. Can you can you do something? It's more like I'm feeling overwhelmed. Would you mind doing the dishes? Right. Tonight. Yeah. So. So, but but like, don't leave them guessing, and don't do, don't do those like, when Jeff and I were first married, you know how you do those tests where you're like, you can if you want to, but really they better not, or they better whatever it is. Right. You know? So what I'm hearing you saying that is that that you need to be honest. There's a degree of honesty, right? Yeah, and you need, what you need. Exactly that your spouse is not a mind reader and neither are you. So if you right. can sort of make a habit of asking for what you need, you know, that is beneficial to the relationship. Yes. Yes. Especially at Christmas time when you expect a present and you tell him you don't need a present and then he doesn't get you a present and then your feelings are hurt that he didn't think about getting you a present, even though you told him not to get I'm just saying hypothetically. If I that mean, hypothetically, 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 <laughs> that might have happened to me one time. <laughs> it happened to me too. And then I learned my like, lesson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The next one is touch your partner. Mm, he does like it when I touch him. Yes. And this could be, <laughs> you know, of whole variety, a spectrum of touch, and mm-hmm. it can vary by person and also mm-hmm. culturally. So, mm-hmm you know, adjust this to your own situation. The book did tell of an interesting study. This was way back years ago that studied couples in coffee shops and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was different cultural settings. So different countries, right? In France, couples in coffee shops t- touched one another more than 100 times per hour. Wow. Whereas couples in England, zero times. Wow. Isn't that and interesting? I feel certain that that does not mean that British people are not having good marriages. Right. Right. Because <laughs> so, there are cultural differences in that, for sure. There can be cultural differences. And also, sure. you know, if your partner has whatever history of, you know, 
being touched when they don't want to be touched, you know, you might need to navigate that. So that's a tricky one. But in general, in a marriage relationship, touching is good, according to Dr. Gottman. I remember when I was first married and reading in a book somewhere that couples that held hands, like made the habit of holding hands, like sitting next to each other on the couch and holding hands, that they just had a better success rate. Something as simple as that. So that kind of affirms what you're saying. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, They actually said, if you can hug each other for 20 or more seconds, Mm. (laughs) that you get a surge of that oxytocin that's Mm -hmm. like a pleasure hormone. Mm -hmm. And so I made Paul do that to see if I felt anything. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I had a, I knew I had a friend who made the habit of before she sent her kids to school every day, giving each of them a 20 second hug Mm. to start their day off with that like shot of. Yeah. I think that's powerful. Yeah. That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah. All right. Last one. All right. Last one is to date each other regularly. Yes. It didn't prescribe any certain amount of time, but the main components would just be, this is something that is for fun. Mm -hmm. This is something that is just the two of you. Right. So it doesn't even have to be going out. It could be, you know, in your own house and doing it without distractions. So, I mean, Paul and I, many, many times sit and watch a movie together, but that really wouldn't count. Right. Because we're not undistracted. Yeah. Right. So those, go ahead. I was just going to say the dating each other, like Jeff and I were married literally more than 25 years before we developed the habit of a date because in different seasons, we just didn't need it. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't until we had teenagers who were awake all the time and engaged when we were home from work that we needed to date each other again because we needed that alone one-on-one time and we couldn't get it at home anymore. Whereas when our kids were little, we'd put them to bed and we could capture, you know, coffee time or talking to each other, wine time or whatever at night. So I think that date thing is really important for developing communication. Yes. Yeah. So I'll recap the seven tips and I'm hoping that, you know, one or more of these tips will resonate with someone. Maybe when I'm done recapping, we can each say if one of them is something we might try to do more for our marriage. Yeah. So the seven were look for connection moments Mm -hmm. and, you know, respond affirmatively to your partner's bid for connection. Ask questions and be curious. Say thank you. Give compliments. Tell what you need. Touch your partner and date each other. Yeah. So I think the one I'm going to work on, and I think I would say I am curious in general, but that's my word for the year. So that's the one I'm going to, I'm going to Google some questions or get that game out and just play it with him when we go on a date where we're asking questions that maybe I haven't asked before. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Now, you you know, since I asked the question, you would think I would know the answer already, (laughs) but (laughs) um, I think perhaps the giving compliments might Mm -hmm. be I do think I give compliments, but maybe they're not exactly the right type that this research is recommending where it's about that my compliments are genuine, but right. You know, maybe about who Paul is rather than like what he does or something like that. So mm-hmm. I'm going to work on that. Yeah, I like that. Is there anything else you learned from the research? There was so much, but one thing I learned was well, I'll tell you two actually because they're both very interesting. They studied how many positive interactions a couple Mm -hmm. needed to have for each negative interaction to sort of balance the offset. 
Okay. So for every one negative, they needed to have 20 positives. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. You got to pile on those positives. (laughs) Oh my goodness. What constituted a positive? Like well, just one of those was, compliment things or a lot of it was to do with these bids. It, when they were in interactions, there would be like turning toward the bid. But mm-hmm. also there was some other research based on terrible. Be- well, I don't want to call it terrible behavior, but there was behavior that characterized people who were headed for divorce. Mm-hmm. And specifically, they were criticism, defensiveness, contempt and stonewalling. Mm. So it had to do with both of the positive and the negative sides mm-hmm. of those things. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, uh, the other interesting fact was in an argument, taking a 20 minute break is beneficial. Wow. So because apparently it takes 20 minutes or more for your like physiological response mm-hmm. to an argument. This is not for just a small argument. Right. Um, and actually they, they were pointing out in the research that arguments aren't bad. Right. <laughs> but but if you're if 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 it's that kind of an argument where you're becoming overwhelmed, right, to step away while acknowledging to your partner, I want to discuss this with you, but I'm going to take a time out and then coming back while the but you don't use those 20 minutes to rehearse your defense. <laughs> <laughs> All the things they did wrong. No, what I'm hearing you say, and this is something I've just recently come across several times, is that whole like prefrontal cortex versus the amygdala, right? That's what you're mm. describing. Right. Is like we go to our fight and flight amygdala and that we're not making our best decisions or communicating as clearly, even though I'm very certain I clearly communicate when I am in that state. <laughs> I sometimes say things I wish I hadn't said. And if I, I will just step away and think deeply and get back into my prefrontal cortex, I'm, I say better things. That's why we've got to take a break. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. That makes sense. Well, I think that's all very interesting. Yeah, I, I loved d- digging into this. I, I had known about his research for a long time, but I d- dug in a little bit deeper for this podcast and it was very beneficial. So yay. Yay. I love that. Well, thank I hope you for sharing. my pleasure. And I hope it was beneficial for you. For you, my friend at home. And as usual, we are here because we care about you. We really do. We want you to live your best life and you are worth it. Thank you for joining me on Wellness and Weight Loss for Busy Moms. If your goals include fat loss or tuning up your fitness and nutrition, I'd love to have you in my next Faster Rate of Fat Loss group. These launch about once a month. You can find more information on this on my website, tracybairdwellness.com. Now hit subscribe and then make it a great day.